It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this tough up. <laughs> the man who's three inspired the Curry family. I don't exaggerate. I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Go Airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Take it away. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Safety Smith from Atlanta. Got a great show lined up for you today. A special guest, six-time all-defensive team member in the NBA, Tony Allen, the grandfather himself, taking a little time out of his busy or not-so-busy schedule as a retired NBA player to wax about his career, some reflections on great battles with Kobe Bryant, his times with the Boston Celtics, and then, of course, his years in Memphis, helping build a culture for the Grizzlies, for the grit and grind Grizzlies. Didn't get a chance to finish with him, but that's where the tricky part comes in at the end of the show. We're going to get back with Tony in February to finish this podcast. This is just part one of a special podcast with Tony Allen. Part two we'll do in February, heading into All-Star Weekend in his hometown of Chicago. But uh, buckle up, get your popcorn ready. You're going to enjoy all that he has to say here on the Hangtime Podcast. Joined by a uh, grit and grind legend, one of the greatest defenders the league has ever seen, Tony Allen, here on the Hangtime Podcast. Man, listen, I appreciate it first and foremost, Tony. I know you're living that retired life now. You know, you ain't got to wake up to crack of dawn. You ain't got to get flights in the middle of the night. You don't have to be on somebody else's schedule. You get to be on your own, man. What's, what's that like after all those years of basketball kind of regimenting your schedule to have the freedom you have now? Oh, man, well, I'm definitely thankful. And uh, it definitely was a privilege to be able to do all that. You know, the NBA is definitely one of the greatest uh, leagues that we have today. But for the most part, it taught me a lot of discipline, you know, getting up early, man. You know, I had to put that in my regimen, you know, and still making time. Like I get my kids to school on time. You know, I got (laughs) to... change diapers, you know, it's a lot that still come with it. So being retired ain't always just being retired. It's a little work, but man, I'm spending a lot of time with my son, starting to notice a lot of stuff about my son. You know, a lot of times I travel and I miss out on a lot of things, but now, you know, starting to see him tie his shoe and starting to see, you know, him riding the bike and things of that nature. But Man, I miss the game, and like I say, man, I always look forward to coming in the morning and getting that good breakfast, little, <laughs> little omelet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, it's relaxing. Yeah, I know, I, you know, working with so many former players, man, they always talk about how those first few years after you stop playing, you got to kind of reprogram yourself because you're so used to having a schedule that's locked in, you know, game here, practice there, you know, flight here. What's been the toughest adjustment for you? What's been the one thing that's been the most difficult to adjust to than not playing anymore? Well, actually knowing that I'm not going to be back in the league anytime soon, that part I had to pretty much get over. Like, yo, you had a great career. Your name is being mentioned with a lot of greats on the defensive side of things. And, you know, you won a championship. You know, you, you actually put green grind on the map and turn you know, you did a lot of good things. And at first, I wasn't ready to accept that. But as I started to just sit around my family and just realize how, how much I accomplished and, you know, some of the things that, that I put in place for, you know, me to be comfortable, is that I thank God for the opportunity. But, man, I love the game. It was probably the hardest thing to come. And the mindset that, hey, you're never going back. And I didn't want to do that. 
So yeah, walking away from the game, knowing I can still play was probably the hardest part. Like I'm sizing dudes up even when I go. When I'm looking at the TV, I'm looking at guys not go over the fight over the road. I'm like, yo, that's how I know I still was loving the game. Like I can look at a game and I could be like, I wonder why this guy didn't tag the road. <laughs> I wonder why he stayed connected in the corner. And when you start doing that, he's like, yo, you still miss the game. You still want to be around. But, hey, I'm a student of the game. And right, what better way now to do it is, you know, let my voice be heard. Right, right. As you mentioned, man, a stellar career, obviously. Recognized universally as one of the, the greatest individual defenders that the league's ever seen. Kobe Bryant said you were the toughest defender he faced, which – that had to make you feel some kind of way, I would imagine, hearing him say that, hearing one of the greatest players this league's ever seen talk about you as his most difficult matchup in terms of a guy defending him. What do you think of when you hear Kobe say something like that, you know, when you're thinking about your career and what you did? Uh, well, whenever you bring that guy Kobe name, I'm always stop and look around and be like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where yet? because it was one of those things, man, where he really, to prepare for competition for Kobe and the way I came to the event every time, it was like, you know, this guy's not saying anything. He barely even want to shake my hand. It's like when I'm defending him, he's looking like, why in the hell do they got this guard on me? He's not worthy. And just to hear that, I'm like, yo, he never even said anything to me on the court. So it was kind of odd, but it was refreshing because I was like, yo, I know I, I, I watched too much film for him not to even acknowledge who I was. Some of the greatest defenders like Bowen, Rajah Bell, Matt Barnes, I saw some of those battles. And the one thing I didn't want on my resume was him little boy and me. You get what I'm saying? And Kobe right. kind of got that swagger. He'll look at you like, are you serious? And that could discourage a lot of guys, and I never wanted to get discouraged. So throughout that battle, I knew how he was coming to the event, and I had to prepare for him not to embarrass me. And he, I could recall, like, being fouled out in, like, eight minutes. See, I had six fouls <laughs> in eight minutes. So that's the type of – that's the type of – your antenna's got to be up when you see him on the schedule. It's like, yo, he's coming. So it was flattering. I enjoyed it, man. But the battles was – like, man, you don't know that preparation for that, man. It was tough, man. It's like watching all the moves on the 99 player on 2K. Right. <laughs> so you you prepare for somebody who had 30-point games in each form of where you could score. Post moves, whether it's hitting five or six threes or whether it's dunking on somebody, you know, getting to the foul line. Like, his attributes were all the way up the park. Only way I can, I want to say is my strength and, you know, my IQ and, and his move, but I never studied any player as much as I studied him. Like, I know when he going to bag you down, he going to try to see if you've been in the weight room. I know that he going to lower his shoulder and he going to try to see what your chest like. And if, listen, listen, see, if you, that's a little bit, he's fading away. It's a bucket. That's Jordan like. He, he coming in four different angles. He going to pull up from the elbow, titty of the free throw line. And that lower block, he want to post you in that block. And I was ready for that, man. I dedicated my weight room habits. I was like, yo, we got Kobe this week. Put an extra 20 pounds on there. Like, it used to be all type of stuff, man, just preparing for this joker, man. He he is definitely, to me, one of the hardest covers. Like, it's like if you go into the pick and roll, he's going to pull up. I just seen them split the pick and roll when they when we try to trap it. It's, it's a lot, man, and I can't take away nothing from this game, man. And I didn't get to play with Jordan, but I can say, man, he was he was the closest thing to Mike in my eye. 
No doubt. Listen, you you came into the league on some Boston teams that were on hard times when you first got in the league. They weren't the Celtics teams. They were by the time 2008, 9, 2009, 2010 rolled around when it was a totally different scene. What was that like, that culture in Boston when you first got in the league and then when y'all started playing at a championship level? Oh, when I first got there, the culture was always how you got to figure they got all them banners in the, in the arena. The guys are in that weight room, man. Guys are getting there early. Guys, it's Celtic time. They call it Celtic time. The culture was always a winning spirit. I can't say that. However, we came, you know, it was a few draft picks, few trades or whatever that we had picked up, you know, and great trades I can remember because I do remember going to the playoffs, playing against Reggie Miller my rookie year. And the other three years in between that, five, six, and seven, it was kind of tough. Paul, the man in the trade, and we're thinking back a long time. <laughs> so, oh, don't forgive me yeah. for this. But, but yeah. I can remember that one year we lost like 17 in a row or something. It was like a, yeah. an NBA record. Yeah. So, yeah, that year, I think I, I told my ACL that year. The organization always carried themselves as we going to the playoffs at least <laughs> nothing. If championship ain't about, we get to the playoffs, and and that was the mindset. But it seemed like when Tick and them got there, man, that was just a whole different type of ball game because you're looking at three big personalities coming in. You don't know who about to be the loud mouth. You don't know who about to be the alpha male. You know all these guys coming from their organizations averaging over twenty something points. I'm trying to figure it out, trying to get healthy or whatnot. But man, I just think those guys were the force of. Just the big three. I think that was the start of a big three, the way they prepared. Ray Allen's getting to the game three, four hours early. Ticket, he won't pure silence in the locker room when he got them big matchups. Uh, <laughs> it's like Paul Pierce, he's he's joking when he needs to be joking, but then all of a sudden you see him, he's the MVP of the game or what have you. And and they all carried their own little, little way of demanding the locker room. And that's one thing I was all – on the same page, whether if we went out to eat, man, hey, man, let's all go out to eat. Hey, come to my house. They they always do family-oriented events. All the families knew each other. All the wives knew each other. We had this African proverb called Ubuntu. I'm in my office right now I'm looking at the picture. It says Ubuntu, a person is a person because of the other person. And day one, training camp, when all three of those guys got together, one of the sacrifices they made was starting five mates. They all went ball-headed. We're going to get on ticket campaign. We all going ball here. <laughs> and I was like, word? I was like, no, nah. I'm a young fella, man. You know, ladies don't like me. <laughs> With no ball here, man. I ain't married yet. I ain't, hold on, man. So that was, I thought, I thought that, that right there, when they all went ball headed, it was like, yo, that cleared the ego stuff or that cleared like whose team or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, because they all sacrificed something, man. And the sacrifice going ball, like, it's a big jump, man. We did that in, I think it was in Greece. Yeah, I remember, we it, was in Rome. I remember it was a preseason trip you guys were overseas. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I think that was a whole different ball club there because you got to figure 17, losing 17 in a row, ain't nothing but a whole bunch of draft picks on the team. You know what I mean? Guys are on the internet. They looking at, and they averaging and want to – it was just a young, ball-minded ball club. And when those guys got around, I mean, it was more about winning, I could say. I mean, I know KG went it, Big Baby one time, you know, during a game and had Big Baby, like, emotional. Yeah. Rondo, I know, has always been his own guy. You certainly 
have a strong personality. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of alpha personality for one locker room. It is, and the respect level was always high, though. You know what I mean? Although, and you got to add that they, all those guys are great competitors. They can compete on anything, but I thought the respect level was there, man. Each guy pretty much understood each guy. I remember times where the playing against the green and white team would get physical. We have to break up little scrimmages <laughs> yeah. because that's how competitive the game was. But ultimately, nobody really ever butted heads that year because it was so on the tip of the iceberg for us to grab. Like, all we got to just do is just stay together. And we did that, man. So I, as far as the locker room goes, it was love. Everything we did was together. And we even had days where, you know, we get Scalabrini, you know, the Wednesday. We want we can hear all kind of country music, all type. You know what I mean? We gave <laughs> we gave Scalabrini his day on the on the iPad, and you know guys are just being there in the weight room. They be coming in and be like, "Who in the heck got this damn music on?" Scal busts out <laughs> uh, from under the uh, weights. Hey man, y'all leave that alone. Now it's my day now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that used to be funny. So man, I, that's a lot of memories, man. Speaking of two thousand eight, man. I remember that season distinctly, like. That team came together so quickly. Did it feel internally that team was destined to play for and win a championship for y'all? Like, did it seem that way as you get started that year in camp and go through that season? That was a, you know, I think it was 66 wins, you know, in the regular season. Just a monster team from the very start. It seemed like it was a rocket ship. Like, and everybody could see that you were going to have to play at a really high level to beat that Celtics team that year. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously the record was great. The record was like 66, as you said, but the ultimate test that year, I believe, where we kind of, wow, well, I, I ain't played it much this series, but it was kind of tough in our locker room. Like, we was kind of like, hold on, what are we doing? Do you remember Ben Gordon? Yeah. Are you familiar with Ben Gordon? <laughs> they was calling him oh, Gordon yeah. Jordan in this series. Yeah. And, <laughs> right. and listen, this, I'm talking about Ben Gordon, oh my goodness, I haven't seen Nobody fill it up. And this this is when you could put the arm bar and hand. And listen, you can arm bar around this time. He crossed guys over and, and pull up from three at being like six foot one was so impressive. We thought we had lost this series. I mean, we got it out of hand. It got out of hand. It took us to seven. Right. So that's when it almost got shaky. After that, I think that put us back in the mindset like, yo, we got a task here to do. This is what we need to get done. And, I, and you should have saw guys like James Posey talking in the locker room. That's another dude I, I like kind of watched him while he was in the locker room. He sat right next to me when we won the championship. I watched how he prepared for the game. He, I watched how he watched film. I watched how he stretched and got loose and, you know, did all of the proper routines to get ready to go be the glue guy to lock up somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that whole year, man. I don't know, man. You're bringing up some real good questions, man. <laughs> I mean, I was covering the Hawks at that time. I remember that first-round series that y'all had with them that was just emotional and dramatic, like wild swings from the games in Boston where y'all were blowing them out. Then y'all would come to Atlanta, and they would spring an upset in one of those games. Oh, and it just yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Johnson just, series. Yeah, 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 it was just it was oh, just you a covering them that year? playoff run. Yeah, man, I was on the Hawks that year. You know, and a young Jeff was that a young Jeff team? We went, yeah, it was that was uh, Josh Smith and all of the young boy Al Horford was a rookie. Al Horford, exactly. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, 
I remember going to Boston for game seven. The people at the hotel and everywhere around Boston, they was looking at you for game seven like it was a funeral. To me, for Boston to get back in the championship spotlight like that, that year was just, it had to be magical for you guys playing on that team. Championships bond players forever. It seems like that's what that I agree. ultimate bond for you agree. guys to be coming back 30 years from now. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I still keep in tune with those guys today, man. Ticket, Paul, Perk, Rondo. You're right. It definitely brings bomb. But, man, those guys at the time, man, you got to figure, man, they were about due for a ring, each one of those guys, man. Paul, right. they had pretty much done everything else, all-star games, uh, Olympians. All they was missing was the big ring. And, and I'm glad I was a part of that, man. I promise you. You know, all those Sebastian, Rondo, no, Sebastian, Delonte West, Al Jefferson, Justin Reed, rest mm-hmm. in peace, Justin Reed. All those guys got traded. And I was kind of surprised right. I stayed, man. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even lie to you, man. <laughs> I had a torn ACL, man. They kept me, man. So, yeah, I, I, thanks for bringing that up, man. Shout out to Boston, 2008, Danny Ainge. He did not trade <laughs> me there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to go from part of what was going on in Boston to being a foundational piece in Memphis, the grindfather, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, what was that like, that transition for you to go from cutting your teeth to being a player that was relied upon to help build a Memphis franchise up to that championship level? How big of a undertaking was that for you just to get your mind right to take on that role? Well, a lot of what you said didn't come early on, and that's the part of grit and grind, what I need the world to know. That's a body of work of just my whole career. Like, I've been saying that for a long time. Like, I got to grind, and how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be gritty doing it. You know, I just had been saying that, right? But just to speak on leaving Boston for a second, me leaving Boston, I didn't want to leave Boston. I'm going to just let that be known. I didn't want to leave Boston. I was asking for a three-year deal because, you know, we had 2010, we had lost Perkins, Kendrick Perkins right. in the finals. We were up in the finals. I really, till to this day, I believe we could have had two championships. However, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I wanted a three-year deal. And not, I didn't, at the time, I didn't, it wasn't like I was demanding the max or like I, was, I wasn't right, doing right. none of that. I just wanted a three-year deal that had me comfortable living in Boston or whatever. So I, I called my boy Paul one day I'm in, the, in the free agency. I'm like, yo, I don't want to leave, bro. What we need to do, man? Y'all, y'all need to get right. He was like, man, this time you become a man. He said, man, he like, if Memphis got a better deal for you than, than Boston, man, you need to take that deal, man. They end up signing Nate Robson. I don't know what they gave Nate Robson. But I end up taking a, a lesser deal than Nate Robinson in Memphis, right? And I was kind of in my feelings. I ain't going to front. I didn't want to leave. We was just that <laughs> close to the championship. I was so salty. But what it did was just reprogram to be like, man, your grind still got to keep going. And you still got to keep going. So when I got there, you know, it wasn't like no big name, like how we got Carmelo Anthony and free agency. Name. Like, oh, yeah, we got Tony Allen. We could use him. Like, that was my only mm-hmm. team. So, like, I ain't had no other offer. I had an offer to go to Chicago, but they took it off the table. For whatever reason, I don't know. But I end up going to Memphis with an attitude. But when I got here, I'm like, yo, it ain't the big city. It ain't too much to do down here. All I could do is just work on my game and just get my body in the best shape it was 
because I know I just get my body in shape. I had to stick Kobe Bryant. He shot 30% that, in that final. <laughs> His worst final shooting ever. What I was saying was to say that, not in, in the most humble is right, but hey, yo, I know a recipe, fellas. Hey, you know, hey, Rudy, man, you just as good as Paul Pierce, man. You athletic, man. You score a foul or assist, man, at any game. Zebo, you just like ticket, man. You get 20 and 10. Easy. Marcus all, you a more polished center than Perk is right now. You're a Rondo, uh, Mike Conley. Hey, man, you shooting the three ball way longer than uh, better than Rondo, man. And you got a great court vision. And me, I'm going to be the guy that's going to be ready to lock up Kobe when we get there. You know what I mean? I was looking at that as, <laughs> as my vision. Didn't have mistake. When I tell you that everybody was looking at me like, man, who the hell? If you don't get your. <laughs> hey, say, I'm not even lying. Ain't no yeah. mystery in my history. Ain't no mystery in my history. So now, look, I tell Rudy this at a commercial. I tell Rudy, I say, man, hey, Rudy, you know, I need you to go on, lock in, man. Get this. You know, he was, all right, come on, let's get this commercial over. He wasn't really trying to hit no basketball stuff. And this is in the summertime before the season even kick off. So I'm like, all right, they ain't feeling my energy. These folks ain't honoring what I just did on the defensive end with Kobe. Because <laughs> we lost, I'm assuming. However, we get in the season, say, I don't play like the first 20-some-odd games. Man, do I just left, got through playing in June. Say, you don't hear me. <laughs> I just got through right. playing in June. Right. Okay, all right, so I got to the Memphis Grizzlies. They didn't make the playoff. You get what I'm saying? And 10 years before that, they hadn't won a game in the playoff. Yeah, never won a – When you talk about green ground, you keep all this in mind, right? So the, the moment that I actually got on the court, I remember we was in the Clippers. We playing the Clippers in L.A. I think I got like four steals in a row. I ain't playing until the fourth quarter. I got in at the fourth quarter. We was down like – seven or something, eight or something. All I remember getting four steals. I played like nine minutes. And then I remember Coach Holland say, man, you know what? Tony Allen is a guy, man, who didn't play such and such X amount of games. He didn't complain. He didn't pout. He didn't say nothing. He's been cheerful on the bench every game. And I put him in there, and he was staying ready. He didn't have to get ready. That was the first sign that I wanted them to know that I was serious. So, see, I ain't going to lie to you. About six, seven more games later, I had the same piece, or if I get in, we'd be up 30, I'd be down, we up 30. Or whatever the case may be, that's when I get in. Man, do you know one day we went to Oklahoma City? Rudy didn't play for whatever reason, man. And that was the start of that, man. I'm talking about preparing for the whole time when I'm as a defender. Like, I got to watch my opponent say, I got to watch him before I go to bed. I got to watch him <laughs> when I wake up. I got to watch him on the ride to the bus. And I got to watch him while I'm getting treatment before the game. I got to watch him after I'm getting finished shooting. Bro, do you know how much film is that in watching one individual? You get what I'm saying? But guess who I was studying this day? Look, I was studying James Hart when he was coming off the bench. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So five minutes, 25 minutes before the game, they say, Tony, you got Kevin Durant. I say, man, I ain't watched not one film session <laughs> on Kevin Durant. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Say, so let's fast forward. So now we go through the game. Oh, now you can correct me when I'm wrong. You can look this up. But that specific day, I think I had like 27, 6, 7, and 5. 27, 7, and 5 or something crazy. KD finished with a 30 mm-hmm. piece. But at the end of the day, I got the, I got the key stops that I need to get to get the win. And the first question he asked me, say, well, Tony Allen, where did this come from? Ooh, I was so hot and so for so many reasons. But the only thing I could think about was what my motto is, what I live by, grit and grind. And it was just the first words coming out of my mouth. And before you knew it, the whole city just said, you know what, that's how we need to move like T.A. We're going to move like T.A., all oh, hot, grit and grind. Before you know it, what we call the FedEx Forum now, the nickname for the FedEx Forum now is the Grand House. 
So that's how that, that's that's how that all went about, man. I didn't know what Memphis was going to turn out to be. You know, a lot of guys go to Memphis in their careers. Like, I was looking like Allen Ives. He went there. His career was over with. I remember F. Stuckle going there. His career, his career was over with. Then I remember Darius Miles going there. He went there. His career was over with. These are prime-time guys who, in early in their careers, going to teams for salary dumps. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Over a period of time, that's how you was looking at this team, this organization. And rest in peace, Mike Hyatt, the owner for the Grizzlies, man. He showed me so much love before he passed away, man. And he told me before he sold the team, man. He said, man, I really appreciate you, T.A. And that meant so much to me. So me being in the organization, I felt indebted. I, I actually heard those words from one of the great Michael Hyatt. So it's like, all right, you can remember this, too. Every year, I made it my business to try to make all defensive teams. Six times, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I had to make it like, all right, we not finna let this defensive tag get off of Then look what ended up happening. You would have never thought Mike Conley become second team all defense. You would have never thought Mark Gasol become defensive player of the year. You see what I'm saying? Player of the year, yeah. I just think this was all the tools I soaked up from Ticket, everything I soaked up from Ray, everything I soaked up from Paul, James Posey, preparation, Doc giving me the blueprint, letting me know, like, yo, T.A., the only way you're going to stay in the league, bro, you got to do what Paul Pierce is not doing. You got to be ready to take some charge. You got to be ready to dive on the loose ball. You got to be ready to make all the 50-50 plays and be the deciding factor of these ball games. If you don't come out here trying to take the first shot with 18 seconds on the shot clock, Tony, I, so, I took, <laughs> so, so, look, I took that and I said, you know what? I'm going to survive in, in this league, and I'm going to come with Storm. And that was my niche, man. I really thank the whole Memphis Grizzly organization for even just giving me that opportunity, man. Because I could, what if, just think, just think if I didn't play throughout the year. You just think a lot of guys sign contracts, go to team, and then you like, then they just give him such and such, such and such. Yeah, Amount to whatever, whatever reason, yeah. I had to make a way. That's real live grit and grass. I don't want to try to tell you. G&G forever. <laughs> <laughs> How much of what you put on display once you got to Memphis was Crane High School and you and Will Bynum in Butler County and Wabash Valley and Oklahoma State? Yeah, it just yeah. seemed like it built, you know, you weren't a McDonald's All-American. You didn't, you didn't go that route the way a lot of guys that you were competing against did. Seems like your path was tougher and therefore your fiber as a player and your career was tougher. Like you took that out on the court. Yeah, and it wasn't really like that, y'all. I think it was more so like, I think how I grew up. I grew up in the poverty area. In my area, it wasn't no Michael Jordan's coming to the neighborhood to, to show us where the nearest gym was at. We was hooping a lot in the playground. And big shout out to Jawan Howard for putting a big old basketball court in front of our, me and Jawan Howard from the same neighborhood. He built a basketball playground in front of my house. So, and this one he signed with the Wizards. He signed for like 100 million. Man, he came back to the neighborhood, man, showed that was my biggest motivation right there. I'm like, yo, I need to get to the league like Joan Howard. But I didn't have no resources, though. Wasn't nobody coming in the ghetto or the what, you, what we call the project. Wasn't nobody coming in it, And so it was hard for me to even know what AAU basketball was. Right. You see what I'm saying? I didn't even know what AAU basketball was. I didn't have a clue. So as I got older... I played in a few little baby bitty basketball leagues when you got like six, seven or whatever. But as I got in the age where you're supposed to be getting ranked and doing all that, I, I was oblivious. I ain't know nothing about that. So what ended up happening was I ended up seeing Will Bynum 
years later in high school and I was out of school. I wasn't trying to play ball. And Will actually brought me back into that, showing me what I need to be getting my mind on. And that was getting ranked, getting the schools to, to come, you know, and I and I, I didn't know nothing about it. So seeing Will again, as I got older, and like in my high school age, him, and, and it was it was a little bit of God too, because my mother had moved to the west side of Chicago where Crane is. I'm giving you the history of it. But when my mother moved to the west side of Crane, I ended up seeing Will at our famous IIT program. It's a college, IIT college. I'm talking about starting from 1999 all the way up, probably Tim, the Tim Grover area. Let's just say if you know who right. Tim Grover is. Yeah. The, the Tim Grover area. Okay, we got all those guys who work out at Tim Grover. Some of the guys come play at the program in the city in Chicago. And I met Will up there. Just went up there on just a random day and saw Will. At this time, I didn't know Will was getting notoriety from schools, colleges, and whatnot. And the whole city knew who he was. And I knew who he was when he was a kid. But when he got older, it was like, that's Will Bynum. Everybody's right. saying. So he see me play. And, and then he like, yo, bro, where you at? I'm like, I ain't nowhere. I'm not even in school. He showed me the blueprint from there, man. It was like, yo, you got to get your grades together first, D.A. You ain't got your grades together. Then that went to, come on, T.A., you got to start working out every day, T.A. That went from working out with Will every day, man. He had these shoes called the jump sole. Are you familiar with the jump sole? I remember the people used to jump. Yeah, they, you walk around. Okay, now like, imagine imagine my whole junior year walking through school <laughs> every day, walking up all type of stairs with them, me and him. walking. Right. I'm doing this my whole junior year. <laughs> Will, you better be right on this now. He say, man, wear these every day, man. We're going to be lit. Man, I got eligible. We ain't win no state or nothing, man, but I kind of went the back route on everything is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I didn't have not one school to go to when I got out of high school. So, mm -hmm. yeah, man, my road was all the way tough. When I got out of high school, you, I guess you should know the procedure. Schools set you up for visits, right? Right, right. That was nothing. So if I didn't go to the program to just to clear my mind and play some basketball, man, you, you wouldn't even be talking about Tony Allen sticking Kobe Bryant. So it, it's a whole lot. It's, it's a whole lot. It's, it's more to that. I'm going to say that for my book. But this <laughs> right. is crazy that, you know, I just ran back in the wheel. And everything today, man, even this interview is dedicated to my brother, Will. That's my brother, brother. Man, he put me in position. That's all I'm going to say, man. I could have easily just not went there. He could have easily just said, what's up, T.A., man? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm doing my thing. Hey, man, get yourself together, T.A. But he ain't do that. He was like, man, yo, your mama just moved west to the west side. He like, oh, yeah, man, you got to come to the school then, man. Yeah, we going to get you in school, man. Come on, man. And then when I look back now, it's like anything today is, is from Will, man. I used to play this dude one-on-one -on -one in the jump soles, the shoes we was just talking about. <laughs> he would have the jump soles on, too. We would play full court one-on-one and over <laughs> and over. See, I'm dead serious. Look, hey, everything today is from my boy Will, for real. That's awesome, man. I was talking to Quentin Richardson about this recently, and I know Anthony Davis touched on it before as well. When AD talks about Chicago being the mecca of basketball, I know people that aren't from Chicago or don't know the history kind of look sideways, like Chicago. But when you grow up in that element, in that environment, man, what is it that binds all of y'all and also gives y'all that distinct attitude about how you play? I think of Patrick Beverly locking up on defense. It's something about guys from Chicago that y'all just believe in playing with a certain kind of fire and especially playing defense at a high level. Is, is that <laughs> hey, from the hey, competition listen, coming up? Let me say that. And it's funny you say with, it, with, it, with a special kind of fire and it's guys playing defense or whatnot, right? 
it's a terminology in Chicago when guys used to just going up to the to the court. And let's just say you seeing some cats that you know you've been playing high school ball forever. Y'all older, y'all in the thirty and up league or whatever the case may be. You got ex college players, ex Euro players, pros. Mm-hmm. Whatever they get in the same gym, and whoever's going to the gym, it could be you, man. And you from Chicago? First thing you gonna say, where you going, man? I'm gonna go who? Where you gonna play it? I'm about to go to IIT and bust somebody ass. <laughs> you don't want you don't want to be the guy out there that they saying he bust your ass. You see what I'm saying? So with that being said, it's like man, guys that you name, Pat Beverly, Quinn Richardson, myself. Like we the guys that don't want to get our ass bust. <laughs> right, right. I want a different kind of fire, a different kind of energy, a different kind of intensity. Simply to let you know it's up from the kickoff. And if you've seen Quentin and Pat, even Amon, these guys play with a chip on their shoulder, man. It's just mm-hmm. like that because if you ever came to a program basketball, it's almost like the Rucker. But if somebody smells blood, <laughs> you don't want to be the guy on the defensive end getting cleared out 10 possessions. Right. And I think that started from just our coach at the IIT, man. Ask around about the IIT basketball, man. It's, it's a fun game. Sean Marion, the Matrix, everybody from Darius Mouse, Tim Hardaway, Mike Finley, Jawan Howard, Bobby Simmons, uh, Corey yeah, McGetty. Right. We got a fleet of hoopers, man. I can see why Anthony Davis said that, man, because I know he had to grow up looking at the hoop circuit, and he, I'm pretty sure he's familiar with those guys. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Do you think that, you know, and now that you're on the other side, just in retrospect, looking at what you were able to accomplish and just how delicate, like, I always wonder, guys talk about great players that they might have worked with or played against or whatever that didn't make it, man. Do you ever wonder oh, why some guys make it and some don't? Is it just fate? What do you think is the... I wish I knew, man. Man, I know some cats, and, I, and this is a platform I can give them a lot of shout-out to. Mm-hmm. My boy, Cedric Banks. He was player of the I year. Remember him. Yeah. My boy uh Mari Sawyer, Andre Brown, Sean Dockery. Yeah. Uh, these are guys I know for sure could have been pro. Like, but I just don't know what happened though. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. I could go back to Michael Herman mm-hmm. back in the day. I mean, it's just so many guys that I know for sure had game, but I don't know, man. I don't know what was, was it discipline maybe? I did talk about discipline. What you know, certain priorities just not getting put first. I'm not sure, yo. I don't know, yeah, but I know with me, weird. with me on the other hand, I was always looking at those guys' crafts like, yo, all right, I need to polish up. I need to get right. I need to get right. This boy said just to head forty in the program last week. I need to get right. Like these were my motivations. Even Dwayne Wade, like yeah. he made it. But I'm just saying, like we all in the same class coming out of high school. And it was like, yo, I know these boys are going to be pros in the next few years. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason it didn't happen, man, but I got a huge level of respect for all the names I just named. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, I know we've been on for a while. I don't want to hold you all day, but I, I love listening to you talk about it because, you know, I don't know if fans and people that aren't around this game on an intimate basis every day understand the amount of work that goes into I know before – old enough to understand the work that it takes to be an NBA player. I just kind of assume, well, if, you, if you're tall enough and you're talented enough, you make it. But it's really not that simple. It's so much work that goes into having a long career to playing 13, 14 years that yeah. I don't know if everybody appreciates the toll 
and the work ethic. And no. you and a lot of guys, a lot of your contemporaries have been able to do that. Yeah, and, and a lot of that goes that goes with just putting the mind over matter. It's a routine, getting your mind program, repetition. I believe, I know if I can get better at doing something in repetition, I'm going to continuously do it. You know what I mean? Just like I was a defensive player, right? So let's just say, you see how they stick in the pick and roll nowadays, right? Right, right. You see how every, all the bigs are just sagging in the back and they like, all right, what you going to do, pull up from three or pull up from mid-range? And guys like myself, I pride myself on holding the team concept of things in hand. However, getting ready for these battles is like going to work every day. It's like a, you work in the office job for like 30, 40 years, sitting in that one position. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. it's the same toe is what I'm trying to say. And with the defensive mindset that I have, you know what I'm saying, knowing I'm coming in every night, I got to go through this pick and roll. Boom. I got I to gotta pray that my big is going to show for me. I got to hope I don't foul. So it's a lot, man. It's a lot come with it. But after a while, after you do something for so long, you didn't had a you did that pick and roll play and that action fourteen years. There's so many elbows and hit your lower back. You get <laughs> I mean, it's equivalent, man. It's, it's what I'm saying. Absolutely. And the task is not small, man. You signing up for the NBA, it look good, but it's a lot come with that, man. It's guys that I'm talking about work out every day. I'm talking about the best athletes, probably in the best shape in the world. And that energy that they putting into doing that is work. It's not like, you know, trust me. Hmm. If you're looking at the league and, and the way basketball has changed, Draymond Green talked about, you know, he felt like they weren't serious about allowing people to defend at the high level they used oh, to be. Oh, I agree. Do you? I yeah. agree. Oh, man, listen, let me tell you, let me say this. The armbar, it, it was pulled out because somebody went to one of the NBA unions and they, and whatever style it was, I'm not sure. They mm-hmm. said, hey, man, they have hacked it. The defenders hacked too much. But what you want us to do with them, with Superstar? Take the armbar out. So guess what I could do now as an offensive player? I could go east to west with my handle, crossover, crossover like Avis. Mm-hmm. It's a little more fluent now. As opposed to when the armbar was in, mm-hmm. if you would beat me, I can come up to you a little bit, move laterally a little bit to slow you down. But now it opens up the draft for the score, and it makes the defense at a disadvantage. Just think about it. If I can't stop you from stampeding, at least hold you, to stop you from going to score, I mean, you're an NBA player. You're going to make a layup. Yeah. If they're going to call this foul, if I touch you a little bit, now the armbar back in the day, what it did, it helped you with that. It was just a little cushion. And here's an example. Let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Did you see uh, Luka Donick in this game last night? Yeah, I've been watching Donchick nonstop, man. Okay, now listen. You you know P.J. Tucker, don't you, right? Oh, yeah. This is a great example. Listen, here's a guy that's played physical on the perimeter, uses his strength. You get what I'm saying? Right? Yeah. And that's been a part of his DNA to make him who he is today, right? Right. Okay, now here it is, a 19-year-old kid. You making the guy that's been programmed to defend like this the whole time. Now that he's, if he touch him a little bit, it's going to be a foul, which is putting the defender at a disadvantage every time. Man, right. Luka Donovan yesterday was playing like he was at a YMCA yesterday. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I'm saying that not to disrespect P.J. Yeah. Tucker, but I know for a fact it's going to keep you at a timid position because you don't want to foul. You want to stay in the game. You can't, you're not helping your team being in the foul trouble. And I think that's been 
part of why what I want to do, man, I want to get one of them. I want to get the defensive academy going so where we don't lose sight of what these coverages is, which way right. to defend these pin downs. Like, this going to hurt. I think it's going to hurt the NBA because look what they did to Jane Harden yesterday. They told the defense yesterday, we're going to make him pass the ball, and you're going to put other guys in positions to make plays for them. Yeah. But that's the only – listen, that's the only sign of defense that you could stop James Harden is double-teaming them. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. What it's other just, way can you stop them? It's just different. It's such a different element in terms of – the physicality that used to be a part of the game, and it was diminished when you played, like from the previous era. They, a lot of players said that 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 was less than optimum for defenders. Yeah, I thought that was just enough. That was all right, but you're gonna make teams go to other defensive tactics, which can be yeah. ugly for the game. Like I'm just looking at it, like it was kind of ugly to see them double team him every time he got the ball. Like, yeah, it's kind of ugly for the game. And then you, the reason for it is because when we put one single individual in front of him, all he got to do is grab. And the moment you touch his body, it's a foul. And he gets the continuation with the two steps. I don't know. They taking the defender out of the game completely. I, I ain't going to lie. Me being a defensive catalyst, I, I definitely looked at that game for a litmus test to see what's to Luke. <laughs> and all I can say, man, the referees call it a little tighter now. And you're going to have a 19-year-old MVP if you keep letting him go at this rate, man. <laughs> yeah, well, look, he, he would be the youngest to ever do it if he were to win MVP, surpassing Derrick Rose. You know, to, to do it at 20 would be amazing for Luka Doncic, man. You know what I just realized? We, we talked for this long. We're going to talk again because this year the All-Star Game is in your city. And I can't think of a better person than you to – to give us kind of a lay of the land before we get to Chicago in February for All-Star Weekend, man. So I'm going to get back to business today, but only if you vow to come back in February so we can talk again about All-Star Weekend and Chicago basketball. I got a bunch of other questions I want to ask you about Chicago hoops. So. Hey, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to do whatever, man. That's why I told uh, Rich. I told him, I said, man, hey, I'm going to be Tony Allen in this voice world, man. They need to hear my voice, man, because – a lot of people throughout the years, man, they thought I was kind of like a little cuckoo or whatever. <laughs> I say, man, but, but hey, man, I'm just a normal guy, man, with yeah. a good personality, and I want the world to hear my defensive side of things, man, because like Draymond Green said, what, what, he, what Draymond say, man, they trying to take the defender out of the game. Yeah, they try, they try to, <laughs> he said they trying to get defense out of this thing. So. No, we can't do that, man. So I agree with Big Fella, man. We got to keep that defensive line, man. I'm coming back. I'm gonna come back at you in February so we can talk again, man. And I appreciate you so much. Folks are gonna love to hear your voice. All right, love, man. Thanks for having All me, bro. Right. Can't thank Tony Allen enough for sharing some of his wisdom and insights. Always appreciate a good conversation about basketball. The grandfather Tony Allen, gracious enough to lend us a little of his time. And just so you know, that's just the first half. There will be a second part to that podcast in Chicago leading into All-Star Weekend in his hometown. We'll catch back up with Tony Allen, finished what was a hilarious and interesting conversation with one of the all-time best defenders the NBA has ever seen. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a good holiday. And we'll see you right here next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to Zaku Smith's Hangtime Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash Hangtime, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans.